You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Don't you see? It's so simple. Step one, we Google the biggest flops on Broadway. Step two, we find the crazy stories behind them. Step three, we see how they lose millions of dollars. Millions? Broadway isn't cheap. A lot of fancy people want to be producers. Step four, find out why the show won't go on. Step five, end this episode and head to Times Square. Times Square? That'll never work. Only Broadway successes are in Times Square. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. Welcome! What's up, theater geeks? What is up? Uh, we did a proper intro for you ish. I mean, we still didn't do the. uh, Wait, we do the pod. The pod. What's this podcast about, Pamela? (laughs) Uh, Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous, where we talk Mm -hmm. about Broadway flops, scandals, and new work. And new works. Mm -hmm. And today. We're going to talk about kind of a mix between flop and scandal. I'll it's be real honest. I forgot what we were talking about, so I'm really excited. <laughs> you should be. And I, I kind of fell down a rabbit hole today because I was yeah. finishing up like last, like last minute details and trying to find some more information in some areas. And then I like found a whole lot of stuff. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, man. So hopefully this is good. Yeah, I mean, it will I be actually good. did. Now I just remembered what show we we're doing. <laughs> and I have, um, I don't know if this story was going to interject in any part. So what I'll say is I remember when I was in college and I was looking for an internship. And one of the places I had an interview uh, was at Telsey, right? Yeah. Um. I mean, they were really nice from what I remember. Like, it was really good, yeah. sweet, kind people. Um, and I remember at the time they were they were casting this musical. Okay. So that would have been <laughs> either early 2003 or late 2002. Yeah, late 2002. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just break the anticipation and tell them what we're doing today. And that is taboo. <laughs> <laughs> Ebony and I have kind of decided, um, well, I mean, we, we started not a trend, but we started the, uh, uh, kind of just working with shows that uh, are either creative, created by, wow, I cannot get my thoughts together right now, <laughs> um, created by or performed by um, people of color. But mm-hmm. now we're broadening that slightly because it is June, which is Pride Month. Yeah. So Taboo kind of encompasses the LGBTQ plus community as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's kind of a cool thing. So we might just keep on this trend. And I like this this kind of path that we've that we've taken. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. Cause I feel like a lot, I mean, a lot of the stuff that, <laughs> a lot of the stuff that was created by people in the margins mm-hmm. hasn't really been given credited or hasn't been credited to those marginalized people. Right. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I like that we are, 
yes, we're talking about flops, but we are also giving credit where credit is due. So, and, right. it, and it's beyond time for that. Right. Right. And I think, you know, like we've always said, part of this, the reason we do this show is, yeah, the stories are juicy and super mm -hmm. fun to like fall down rabbit holes yeah. and like kind of parse through and talk about. <laughs> um, but also we want you to dig deeper into yeah. these shows. We want you to be sparked and read that and read the, the play or the book. Um, if you can find a movie version of it to do that as well. Um, if there, in this case, is a musician that if you're a millennial, you might not know very well whose music this is. You can fall down the rabbit hole and listen to his music. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I, the reason we do this, again, is also to get you really interested and excited about about a show you might not have heard about totally. before you listen to this podcast. Well, and a lot of these shows were on Broadway for a blink of an eye. Right. So you wouldn't have heard of them right. sometimes. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. they didn't have a cast recording at all. Right, like Shuffle. And yeah, exactly. And that's how I learned about a lot of shows that, because I was, you know, growing up in central Illinois, you know, you're yeah. about as far away from the New York theater scene as you could possibly get. But like, I would go into the music stores when they still existed. Um, and I would go through all of the cast recording or the cast albums that they mm -hmm. had. And I'd be mm -hmm. like, this one sounds fun. I'm going to get this one. Yeah. And that's how I found like, <laughs> that's how I found Steel Pier. That's how I found, um, sideshow when it was in yeah. its first inception that's how i fell in love with ragtime mm -hmm. i mean like there's so many shows like that so and this Same. is one of those shows where it is really good music i've yeah. been listening to it and it's like it's campy but like think that's the fun of the show right right mm -hmm. okay I, I think that's what you know this musician i i guys i know his name but <laughs> she i want to let her like tell the stories but um you know, that this musician, like, sort of, like, camp was sort of his, totally. like, his deal, like, sort he of was, what he was he good was. at. He was, yeah, he was, he was camp, he was schlock, I'm gonna, yeah. okay, again, break the anticipation, it's Boy George. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you have never heard of Boy George, and you might not have, you have heard the song, Karma, 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 Chameleon, yeah. or, <laughs> do you really want to hurt me? Yes. <laughs> no yes. other reason than that, like some of these songs you hear in movie soundtracks today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, these are songs back from the 80s. These are the songs that I grew up listening to. Like if mom yeah. turned on the radio on a Saturday morning, these were the songs that I heard. Yeah, so, yeah. This, this touches me in the feels. <laughs> <laughs> so Boy George is actually, his real name is George O'Dowd. Mm -hmm. um, but for the purposes of this, I'm just going to keep calling him Boy George. Great. However, it may be slightly confusing because at times I will also refer to the character Boy George in the musical Taboo because okay. it is kind of a, um, an autobiographical. It's not kind of. It is an autobiographical, but mm -hmm. they've taken a lots of liberties with it as mm -hmm. far as timelines are concerned and also um, locations that people are in at the times that they're in them, that kind of stuff. Okay. I will also warn you up front, the only synopsis that I found, which was on Wikipedia, uh, was from the West End production, oh. which is vastly different than the Broadway really? production. They changed so much, and I'll get into that in why, wow. but I also, I couldn't find any like really detailed information on the synopsis, so I'm sorry okay. about that. You're more than welcome to go and read what it is on Wikipedia from the West End version. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully I can find something. I fell down. I was telling Ebony earlier. I fell down a <laughs> rabbit hole this morning because I was just like doing the bits and bobs at the very end here and was just discovering, discovering, discovering. So um, I'm going to list the people, not the people, but the websites that I found information on. And that includes obviously wikipedia.com, uh, broadwaymusicalhome.com, which I have kind of loved. Have you discovered this website, Ebony? I have heard about this website, but I haven't gone to it yet. Yeah, it's great. I didn't get a chance to like really delve in, but there's a mm -hmm. lot of really good stuff to, to um, discover. Maybe this will help me 
on my next episode. So I really have to go there. Maybe yeah. so. So broadwaymusicalhome.com. Mm-hmm. We're also going to hear from the newyorkpost.com, ibdbeep.com. Uh, and there are a couple of others that I will give credit to once I am reading that portion of my script. All right. <laughs> So Taboo is a musical whose original book was written by Mark Davies Markham, lyrics by Boy George, and music by Boy George, John Themis, or Themis, Richie Stevens, and Kevin Frost. The book for the Broadway production was extensively rewritten by Charles Bush. So the plot of the show... It's Charles based- Bush. Yeah. That's so cool. I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole not guys fall down the Charles Bush rabbit hole. If you haven't done that already. Okay. Yes, Go. I know it's, it's a lot. I include <laughs> anything else from that because otherwise it would have taken up so much of my, yeah. my space here. But <laughs> so the plot of the show is based partly on the new romantic scene of the 1980s. At its core, it's the life uh, and career of the colorful pop, story, pop star Boy George, mm-hmm. who rose to global prominence in the early 1980s with his band Culture Club. They are the ones who wrote the song Karma Chameleon and the other one that I sang earlier, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and his <laughs> contemporaries uh, at the time. Uh, let me read that again because I just cut myself off. So Boy George rose to global prominence in the early, early 1980s with his band Culture Club, but it was also about the career, the career of his contemporaries at the time, okay. including performance artist and club promoter Lee Bowery, pop singer Marilyn, Blitz nightclub host Steve Strange, later of the electro pop group Visage, and then Philip Salon, who uh, he, I'll get into him later, but he's a punk groupie and mud club promoter. Um, although George was intimate with the central figures, some artistic license was taken around the relationships and also the timeframes of this production. So, oops. Oh, I scrolled all the way to the bottom. I can't use my arrow keys, everybody. <laughs> okay. So the show premiered in London's West End at the newly opened Venue Theatre on January 29th of 2002. Comedian and talk show host Rosie O'Donnell was so enamored with it that she decided to finance a Broadway production. After 16 previews, it opened on November 13th, 2003 at the Plymouth Theatre, where, hampered by mostly scathing reviews, it closed Mm -hmm. after 100 performances. O'Donnell reportedly lost her entire $10 million investment in the project. Yeah. I remember it being on her show. I remember. And I'll get into this too. Well, let's talk about it now because the Rosie O'Donnell show was super uh, informative on the Broadway shows that were going on at that time. And for a little girl living in central Illinois who loved Broadway beyond life itself at that point in time like I checked in to watch the Rosie O'Donnell show every single day and and Broadway week it was like the week leading up to the Tony Awards she'd have live performances on there it was amazing and I think that you could probably find all of those on YouTube YouTube yep yep yep. yeah but it wow it was so exciting and then she had that night show for a little while Oh, that yeah. because I, I found I, I didn't, I didn't watch that one. Cause I honestly didn't really understand that it was happening. Yeah. I didn't either. Really. I but, didn't hear about it though. Because like she did the, um, 2012 revival of Godspell, like oh, that, yeah. that, oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's <laughs> my favorite cast recording of Godspell. It's so good. It's wonderful. And like the, just the the liberties that they take with their voices and like the way that it's just gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Stunning. (laughs) Um, O'Donnell said back in a 2007 interview about Lee Bowery that she will take Taboo back to Broadway in the future. So I think that I did read they had um, not a full-blown performance, but they had it playing in a nightclub somewhere with a lot of the original cast. And I might have written that down, but if not, you can Google that. But they haven't actually done a full production of that show again, but you never know. I just did it again, you guys. No arrows. No (laughs) arrows. Okay. So the Broadway premiere at Plymouth Theater opened on November 13th, 2003 and closed on February 8th, 2004 after 100 performances. The original cast included Sarah Uriarty Berry, 
Jeffrey Carlson, Raul Esparza, Liz McCartney, Ewan Morton, George O'Dowd, Carrie Shields. And I will tell you all of them later with what role they played, but that's just to give you a gloss over for now. Okay. Uh, the director of the show is Christopher Renshaw. The choreographer, Mark Dendy. Producers were Rosie O'Donnell and Adam Kenwright. Musical director was Jason Howland. Scenic design, Tim Goodchild. Costume design, Mike Nichols and Bobby Pierce. Lighting design, Natasha Katz. And sound design, Jonathan Deans. No arrows. <laughs> I can't keep my fingers off the arrows. I'm sorry. <laughs> so for the opening night cast, I'm going to list them all here, including the ensemble members and swings and everybody because everyone gets credit. Opening night cast, uh, Jeffrey Carlson playing Marilyn, Raul Esparza as Philip Salon, Liz McCartney as Big Sue, Ewan Morton as Boy George, or just George as he's known in the show, okay. George O'Dowd, also known as Boy George, as Lee Bowery, Carrie Shields as Marcus, Sarah Uriarty-Berry as Nicola. And the ensemble members included, and you'll recognize some of these names, Jennifer Cody, Dione yeah, yeah. Collins. Brooke Elliott, Felice B. Gajda, I think that's how you pronounce the name, William Robert Gaynor, Curtis Holbrook, Jennifer K. Mrozik, uh, Nathan Peck, Alexander Kiroga, Asa Summers, Denise Summerford, Gregory Treco. The swings included Lori Holmes, Jody Raynard, James Tabik, and standby for Philip Salon and Lee Bowery was Donnie R. Keshawars. Keshawars? Okay, I think that's how you pronounce it. So, you guys, what did I just do? Can you guess? You did the arrows again. I did. <laughs> and it's getting easier because I'm getting closer to the end. <laughs> so, Time Magazine is one of the places that I found a cool story. And I'm just going to read part of it. Time Magazine, this uh, article was named Rosie's Bum Rap in Defense of Taboo by Richard Zoglin. There's nothing Broadway loves better than a juicy backstage drama. And Taboo, that musical about 80s rock star, rock star Boy George with music by the grown-up Boy George, George O'Dowd, and produced by talk show host diva Rosie O'Donnell, offered plenty of fodder. There were canceled performances, reports of backstage fights, a star who walked out of rehearsal, a director nearly fired, all that and a producer shuttling between the theater and a Manhattan courthouse where she was involved in a lawsuit with a former publisher of her defunct magazine, Rosie. More than just watching the backstage story unfold, however, the chroniclers of Broadway love to play a part in it. This kind of pre-opening brouhaha generally can have only two satisfying endings. First scenario, a determined creative team works through the problems, pulls off a miraculous turnaround, and the show is a surprise hit. Second, and more frequent. The troubles really do turn out to be as bad as everyone suspected, and no one, uh, and no one can fix them in time. The show is a big sloppy, they got what they deserved flop. There's enough wrong with Taboo, a messy book and a less than ideal production that probably no one in good conscience conscience can make a case for scenario one. Still, that doesn't mean the howling critics who are gleefully writing their scenario to two endings are treating the show any more fairly. Not since Urban Cowboy has Broadway been littered with so much smoldering wreckage, announced the Wall Street Journal. The Washington Post critic found the show so awful that it drove him into questioning the entire institution of Broadway. The New York Times' Ben Brantley gave this show that ultimate put-down from the Guardians of Broadway taste in class. It reminded him of Cats. Just how Cats? The most successful Broadway in, uh, musical in Broadway so history. Weird. Yeah. And an adventurous one in its day has come to be a synonym for a mass audience schlock is the subject for another day. <laughs> but the real question is why the critics are so eager to turn Taboo into Rosie O'Donnell's personal Titanic. Yeah. And I think that they're talking about the ship and not the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although it could be the show. I don't know. Uh, I liked Taboo when I saw it in London a year and a half ago, and I liked, on, I liked it on Broadway, though it has much changed. Uh, or it, it is much change, changed. In some ways for the better and some for the worse. 
junked almost entirely in the old, uh, is the old book, which focused on a middle-class kid from the provinces who leaves home to join the glitzy, decadent London club scene. The rewrite by Charles Bush, creator of off-Broadway drag spectaculars like Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, mm -hmm. eliminates this somewhat cliched character and plunges us more directly into club underworld and the rise and drug-abled fall of its most famous denizen, Boy George, played by Ewan Morton. The book is better now, but still too unfocused, with too many characters vying for stage time, among them the campy cross-dressing narrator, Philip Salon, played by Raul Esparza, the flamboyant performance artist Lee Bowery, played by O'Dowd himself, and assorted other men and women in their lives. Rather than a bustling tableau, this just seems like indecision on the part of the creators. Director Christopher Renshaw, who managed nicely in the small West End space where the show debuted, seems at a loss on how to organize the action on the big Broadway stage. And the choreography, which should be a highlight of a show like this, is pretty lame. But jumbled as it is, this musical is not to be sniffed at. The portrait of the freewheeling, sexually adventurous pre-AIDS club world is vivid, uncompromising, and often funny. And as a study of the perils of fame, the show is miles beyond the other biographical musical playing down the block, which was The Boy from Oz. Uh, mm. With the exception of O'Dowd, who's a little stiff as Bowery, the cast is superb. I love that sentence. I don't love that sentence, but it gives me kind of like, oh. Mm -hmm. uh, with the exception of O'Dowd, who's a little stiff as Bowery, the cast is This also is first time on, like, it's, you know, yeah. theater it's also his first time. Total, theater is such a different beast than any yeah. other kind of performing that you do. So even if you've performed with a band your entire life, you know, acting is different. Um, I think that I will say it later in one of the other articles that I read, but one of them mentions that um, when he's singing, it's so much different. So they, they ended up actually taking out a lot of the scene work in lieu of songs mm -hmm. because once he was singing, you know, it was better. So that was interesting to me. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Morton, a sweet voice doppelganger for Boy George and Esparza, an electric Broadway star who touches the humanity behind the high camp shallowness of Salon. So those were the two standouts. Mm -hmm. The real triumph of Taboo, however, is O'Dowd's music and lyrics. I do love this part. Among the best I've heard on Broadway in the past few seasons. And with the exception of the two old hits, Karma Chameleon and Do You Really Want to Hurt Me, all the songs are new. The real problem with Taboo for most critics is the unspoken one, Rosie O'Donnell. The comedian and talk show queen may well have been in over her head, but let's give her some credit. She saw a show in London that was at the edge of what Broadway audiences would accept, and mm -hmm. she gambled her own money to try to make mm -hmm. it fly. Mm -hmm. She ran up against not only some sizable creative hurdles, but a Broadway establishment that secretly resents an outsider from TV, yep. no less. Yep who presumes she can show the old guard how to do it, and so the fate of Taboo becomes a morality tale of theatrical hubris. Mm -hmm. But it's not true, mm -hmm. folks. <laughs> Wait, it's not true, but hey, it makes a great story, is how he finishes that article. Yeah. It's so true. You yeah. know, we feel like, you know, we want to put the blame somewhere. If something doesn't succeed, then it must have been such and such. It must have been the critics. It must have been the lead actor. It must have been the producer, the director. And a lot of that can be true, but I don't think it can ever land solely on one person's feet. Right, right. And I, like, I... Man, that whole boys club situation, oh. like, you know, she's coming in with her own money and putting this show up, like, at the time was still something, like he said, at the edge of what Broadway would accept. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, friends and I are having these conversations about how, you know, with this pandemic that we're honestly still in the middle of, like, people think it's over and it's like, it's not guys. Look at the yep. numbers. It ain't over. Um, <laughs> but like the, the Broadway has been brought literally to its knees mm -hmm. and there's like a new generation rising that wants to do things completely different. Yeah. And because a lot of these people who've been around for forever don't really know how to navigate this situation. And I think like, it just really speaks to, you know, how hard it is for people 
with new ideas, a new vision of what Broadway can be to come in and change things and be accepted. Yeah. It's like, it's like they don't want it, but it's like right now, because we're in this pandemic, you, you, you probably don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and that's, that's what's actually true. very exciting to me about what's happening with this pandemic. Yeah. We don't know what the face of Broadway is going to look like at the, you know, when we you know, finally are able to open up probably next year. Yeah. It's going to be thrilling. Do you remember this would have been, I don't know, maybe like early turn of the century, early 2000s, when <laughs> suddenly <laughs> all of these shows were using um, multimedia. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do you remember right, when that happened? White Queen? Is that what? No, White, the White something. Do you remember that musical? No. It's on our list because it, okay. it didn't last very long, but it was one of the first ones to do like all projection, yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. And I remember people having a huge problem with it. Huge problem. But now <laughs> it's everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. I, think, I mean, that is just a, a very small example of mm -hmm. what, you know, yes, it's going to take time because now we're okay. Now we're accepting of it, but it's been 20 years since that mm -hmm. kind of stuff has been used. And I remember going to see um, a production of Miss Saigon in Peoria, Illinois. So this was the touring company. And because they had downsized so drastically for the tour, there was no longer going to be a real helicopter. Mm -hmm. What they did instead was a projection of the helicopter. And I remember thinking, oh, it's going to be stupid. It's going to be so campy. It's not going to be real at all. However, what they did was a very like theme park way of doing it where not only did you have the projection, which actually looked pretty impressive mm -hmm. on the back of the screen of this helicopter, but you also had speakers in and behind the audience. So you felt and heard the helicopter coming in around you <laughs> before you see it on stage. It was, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because it really was truly thrilling. And then you've got that coupled with the music and the moment that, you know, all of these people are being, you know, left to basically probably be murdered because they were too American for now the Vietnamese people and they're just being left to their own devices. So it's mm -hmm. just awful. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was such a cool experience. And so I think of that often when yeah. I think of the multimedia stuff, because now you can't go see a Broadway show and not have some sort of projection yep. somewhere. It's true. I but think- it's yeah. The, the, the one in the last, yeah, five years that I've seen that had the least projection was um, the Brian Darcy James, um, Christian Borrell. Oh, um, Something Rotten? Yeah. It had the least of, I mean, it was old school sex. Yeah. Well, which I really loved. The idea of that show, yeah. too, is that it was like musicals didn't exist until... Right. It was, you know, until he wrote them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Love it. Love but it. yeah, I that's. I'd gotten a chance to see that one, but. It was cute. It was yeah. cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's another article that I read, and this is just going to be a very brief little thing because I'm going to read the whole uh, article of these next two after this. And I'm hoping that you'll be as excited as I was when I was reading it earlier, but it might okay. be a lot, but I think it's important to hear. Okay. So, one is uh, from The Observer. It's called Rosie and Boy's Big Identity Crisis by John Hellepern. Uh, this is just a little excerpt. Okay. You will have heard of the ma uh, mess and uproar involved in the making of Rosie O'Donnell's $10 million, $10 million vanity production Taboo. Now, whether a musical about the drag queens and freaks of the 1980s London club scene will make it on Broadway is almost beside the point. But this, I can guarantee, more or less, anyone including you and me and your mother could have told Miss O'Donnell what's fatally wrong with her show before the curtain went up. Had she listened, which is doubtful, perhaps she could have fixed it and saved herself a bundle. Risking life and limb, this is what you would have whispered to her by way of tactful advice. I'm very sorry, but I don't know what story you're telling. Mm. 
So there's that excerpt. So yeah. this is what I first read that kind of spiraled me down that rabbit hole this morning because I was like, wait a minute, what is this? Because there is a bit of scandal that we're going to get into right now mm-hmm. regarding Rosie O'Donnell and Rala Sparza. Uh, perhaps you've heard of it. Perhaps you've not. I did, but I didn't know okay. the full story. Um, what I knew was like a brief glimpse into what it was. Um, so these next two articles, and I'm just going to read them back to back, are going to kind of go into what all that was and what happened. So this one is by the New York Post. It is entitled Taboo Postmortem, What and Who Went Wrong? The agent for the member of Taboo creative team sat alone in Rosie O'Donnell's spacious office at 1500 Broadway. He'd been summoned for a meeting with a novice Broadway producer because he'd had the temerity to point out her failure to honor a key point in her contract with his client. O'Donnell burst into the room and pointed a finger at him. When the book on Taboo is written, she thundered, you will be the villain. Then she stormed out. Well, it's time to write the book, or at least a farewell column on Taboo, a sad fiasco of a musical that will play its final performance on February 8th. But there are no villains in this story. Really just a volatile, distracted, and ultimately ineffectual producer, a weak director, a timid book writer who watched his key scenes get cut because, uh, because they couldn't be acted or directed properly, and a star, Boy George, who wrote a fine score, let's give him his due, but he wasn't much of an actor. One person involved in Taboo calls the show a missed opportunity. There are a lot of really good things in it. There just wasn't anyone around who could pull it all together. Set in the London nightclub scene in the early, early 1980s, Taboo is an autobiographical musical about Boy George and his relationship with fashion designer Lee Bowery, who died of AIDS. The musical was a minor success in London where it ran for over a year in a small nightclub. In retrospect, it might have been a better off, it might have been better off in a similar setting in New York. But O'Donnell isn't one who thinks small, and so she blew Taboo up into a $10 million Broadway musical with new sets, costumes, and a book by playwright Charles Bush. O'Donnell hired Chris Crenshaw, Chris Renshaw, who directed the show in London, to stage it here. But Renshaw came with baggage. His revival of The King and I in 1996 was brilliant, but a year later he was uh, fired from high society because of erratic behavior and had pretty much been blackballed on Broadway. O'Donnell knew Renshaw's history and, according to sources, had a candid conversation with him during which he assured her he was up to the job of directing Taboo. Bush, meanwhile, turned in a new script, a copy of which was obtained by the Post that dramatized the relationship between Boy George and Lee Bowery and contained a key scene in which Boy George appears at Lee Bowery's deathbed. O'Donnell gave Renshaw a wide berth for the first few weeks of rehearsal while she concentrated on what turned out to be an ill-conceived marketing campaign for Taboo. And that's when things go off track. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Boy George as Lee Bowery simply could not act emotional scenes with Ewan Morton, who plays the young boy George. Renshaw was no help. Chris would say, do you mind if we try this? And if George didn't want to, then Chris would say, okay, and drop it, a source says. The show was crying out for a director. It never had any guidance. A member of the production staff says O'Donnell gave Renshaw all the rope in the world to either swing like a star or hang himself. Unfortunately, he chose the latter. Scenes Boy George could not act very well were either cut or replaced by songs. They were chipping away at Charles' book every day, says a production source. Why didn't Bush fight for his work? Well, look, Charles isn't Arthur Lawrence, the person says, referring to the famously tough book writer of West Side Story and Gypsy. He doesn't like confrontation. And if they'd kept the scenes, they would have been badly acted and badly directed. Mm. Ironically, critics would later complain that there was no connective tissue between Boy George and Lee Bowery. 
When O'Donnell started coming to rehearsals, she knew immediately that the show was in trouble, sources said. That's when the screaming matches began, culminating in the much-publicized blow-up between O'Donnell and Raul Esparza, one of the show's stars, who felt the show was rudderless. O'Donnell brought in a new choreographer, but when she tried to replace Renshaw with a new director, Boy George thwarted her. I felt it would be too disruptive, he later said. By this time, Rosie O'Donnell was swamped by her courtroom battle with the publisher of her defunct magazine, Rosie, and according to sources, seemed to give up on Taboo. Plans to postpone the opening were scrapped since without a new director, there was no point in trying to salvage the show, and Taboo drifted to its sad opening night and pummeling the next day by the critics. Taboo has lost money every week. The houses are only about half full, and one source says the atmosphere uh, backstage is depressing. Renshaw pops in from time to time and encourages his actors to ad lib. And so Esparza now banters with the folks in the balcony while Boy George makes jokes about Michael Jackson. On Tuesday, when O'Donnell announced she was putting up the closing notice, Boy George, in a pouty mood, didn't show up for work. He did not respond to a request for comment, neither did Bush, Renshaw, or O'Donnell. No villains here, just the weak, the timid, and the lost. So that's a good article. Wow. No. And it was well written in a way that, like, he didn't really single anyone out. He really was very good about kind of finding the reasoning behind it all. Uh, this next one is going to be about the spat. So this one is called Rosie's Thorny Spat. Her Broadway show rocked as star storms out. This is by Michael. Is it Riedel? Michael Riedel? It is Riedel. Riedel. Okay. Riedel. I thought it was mm -hmm. Riedel, and I was saying Riedel in my head, and I thought Well, because was... Greece. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it's spelled. So of true. course. <laughs> Riedel, hi. All right. So Michael Riedel. <laughs> and this was written on October 25th, 2003, so it was just about a month before they opened. Okay. This states... One of the sexy young stars of the troubled Broadway musical Taboo stormed out of rehearsals after clashing with the show's producer, Rosie O'Donnell. Raul Esparza, who makes many theater critics swoon, pitched a diva-sized hissy fit on the stage of the Plymouth Theater Thursday afternoon because he was unhappy with a note O'Donnell gave him about his performances. Sources say uh, oh, they told the Post yesterday. Then let my understudy do it. In fact, let my understudy do the whole run, the hot-headed actor screamed at O'Donnell before leaving the theater in a huff. The rehearsal was suspended for several hours while Esparza's agents frantically tried to track him down. He returned to the theater later that night and the rehearsal continued, though in an atmosphere that one source described as incredibly tense. Neither O'Donnell nor Esparza would speak to each other, the source said. Reached on his cell phone yesterday, Esparza, who won rave reviews as the MC in Cabaret and as the star of the off-Broadway musical Tick, Tick, Boom, declines to comment in the incident. Through a spokeswoman, O'Donnell said, Raul gives one of the most brilliant performances I've seen on stage and I can't wait for Taboo to open on November 13th. Preview performances, which were to begin last night, have been pushed back until Tuesday evening. The note that triggered the blow up was minor. O'Donnell simply asked the actor to exit the stage sooner so that he would have more time to make a costume change. But, oh, I've got an advertisement, so let me scroll past. In the theater, it's considered a major breach of protocol for a producer to give actor notes. That's the director's job. Mm -hmm. And some theater people have suggested that the incident was another example of O'Donnell's continued micromanagement of the show. She's putting up every penny of the show's $10 million investment, attends nearly every rehearsal, designed the ad campaign, which had to be changed after it failed to generate any business at the box office, keeps changing the marquee, and just last week brought in a new choreographer. But one company member insisted yesterday that this time around, O'Donnell was not out of line. She asked her director, Christopher Renshaw, to speak to Esparza about his exit at least 14 times, the, the source said. When the problem still had not been solved, she piped up about it herself, the source added. Both O'Donnell and Esparza have large egos, hers from being one of the most famous women in the world, his from being a critic's darling. They eventually collided, oh, that they eventually collided did not surprise anyone involved in Taboo. Esparza's sources say, uh, 
oh, Esparza, sources say, has annoyed O'Donnell by bad-mouthing the show around town and by demanding better billing and a bigger dressing room. Company members also say that he's in the habit of showing off one of his more prominent attributes by parading around the theater in his underwear. And while everyone thinks he's cute, they wish he'd put on some sweatpants. <laughs> this one made me laugh so hard. <laughs> um... I've heard stories about Rallis Barza. I think I might have mentioned some of, I don't, I'm not going to go into detail because mm -hmm. it's not my place to say, but there is an opinion about him in Broadway and, you know, in the Broadway theater community mm -hmm. that he does have a very large ego and to get in the way of that ego is the detriment of you. I will also say, though, having read all of the stuff about Christopher Renshaw being um, a, a tepid director or just someone mm -hmm. that's not willing to step in and actually be a leader in that space, that can be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. I've done shows before where the director was terrible. I mean, one show where they had to replace him because it, it was getting to the point where none of us knew what we were supposed to be doing at any given time. And like, so we all just kind of felt um, insecure and yeah. you never want to feel insecure when you're doing theater because yeah. you are already vulnerable. Right. So I can understand where, where that might, cause I think I might've reacted that way too, if, if right. put into a scenario like this, but at the same time, you also have to temper it. You also, you have to look at the situation and say, I'm not the only one here. The entire cast and crew are going through the exact same thing. So maybe it's not my place to be the only one that's put out and be the, you know, and to be the one that throws a hissy fit and walks out. Cause that's kind of terrible too. Can you imagine like in the middle of rehearsal, everyone's going through, this is like war. Mm -hmm, you're, mm -hmm. in the, you're in the trenches with your, with your buddies who are all fighting the same war with you. We're all mm -hmm. in the same scenario. And then someone just gets up and walks away. I, I, although I will say like it, he had done two other shows where, you know, that he, so he's built up a reputation. Mm -hmm. And when you see that, like this reputation that you've had to work tooth and nail to build up, is crumbling because people just won't like step up and take their place as leader. Sure. I mean, I, I can, I can understand because also like the other thing is who, like, I don't know what, what if he had the, him having the most power mm -hmm. of any of the other actors and like making such a drastic um, proclamation of his frustration, like, could have potentially moved things in a different direction. Whereas like the rest of the cast who, you know, some of them were newer because it mm -hmm. probably was a pretty young cast. Probably. Like we're talking about like the eighties or like eighties culture, mm -hmm. nightclub culture is probably. Yeah, I mean, yes, they would have been younger. I think. Right. Okay. And I can see where you're coming from and I do yeah. agree with you at a, at a point, but there is a time and a place. Mm-hmm. And I, I am not sure that that would have been the time and place. Now, also having said that, yeah. if you're being approached by someone who's not technically supposed to be telling you anything, yeah, yeah, I can also see how you might be like, uh, why are you here? Like, why are yeah. you talking to me right now? And if this has been an issue, but also, and I think I have another little bit of another uh, Seth Rudetsky article that I might read just now, but mm -hmm. um, where it goes into a little bit more detail on what the note was and why he was fighting against it. Cause in yeah. theater we're taught, take the note, say thank you and move on. And if you have mm -hmm. a question or comment about it later, go and find the director and talk to him directly about it. But mm -hmm. during a note session, you never want to be that person. That's like, Oh, because I was trying to, this was what my motivation was. And uh, this was what <laughs> I was actually, are you sure that that's the, okay. You just say, okay, thank you. And then you write mm -hmm. it down and you talk to him later. But mm -hmm. in this particular scenario, he's getting a note from someone that he's not supposed to be getting a note from, but also the note itself doesn't make any sense and it's not going to help 
the situation. Mm-hmm. So let me read this right now. This was um, a blog post on playbill.com called On Stage and Backstage, Henchmen Aren't Forgotten by Seth Rudetsky. It's very, very long, and I'm only going to read the parts that include um, Rala Sparsa. Uh, so... Uh, it comes in toward the end of this article, towards the end of this blog post, but it says, we then spoke about him playing Philip Salon in Taboo. He said that the real Philip came to see the show on Broadway and afterwards, Raoul asked him what he thought. Philip said, hmm, do you want me to be honest? <laughs> Raoul said, yes, mind you. Philip was still dressed in his going to the theater outfit, which was a Vivian Westwood white pantsuit, Vivian Westwood brooch, and an afro made out of shaving cream. Seriously. Philip shook his head and afro and said, frankly, darling, I'm not that camp. Interesting. (laughs) I dared to ask Raoul about the famous fight he had with Rosie O'Donnell during Taboo. He said that the rehearsal period was a very stressful time. The show was in a gossip columns a lot. Rosie was being sued by her former magazine and he felt there wasn't a strong director taking control. During one rehearsal, it was apparent that Raul was having a hard time making a quick change. Rosie asked him to exit the scene earlier so that he'd have more time to change. Raul said he needed to be on, uh, he needed to be in that scene because his character needed the information being said on stage and wanted the costume change cut. The argument escalated until Rosie said that another actor could play his role just as well, and Ral said that she was right. He stormed off the stage and out of the theater. Unfortunately, and this is a very funny part, for those of you that think he had an incredibly sassy exit, please now visualize the outfit that he was storming off in. Oh, no. Henry VIII balloon pants. Stop a it. A cape, a crown, an orb, a scepter. <laughs> Elf shoes. Stop! Stop! (laughs) So first of all, and this was also confirmed by Jen Cody, who was standing on stage with him at the time, his storming off was greatly desassified by his (laughs) elfin shoes. Plus, right right before he got off stage, his crown fell off. Everyone in the theater... I know. Everyone in the theater was stunned by Raoul's departure and froze in silence. The silence that was only broken by his dresser scurrying on stage, picking up said crown and scurrying off. I don't know how they was silenced because I'd have been laughing my behind off. How did they remain? No, can you though? I mean, just imagine like the tense atmosphere that there must have been. And now mommy and daddy are fighting. (laughs) It's like, it doesn't matter what daddy's wearing. He's going to, he's going to leave and it's going to be like, Oh, is he coming back? Mm -hmm. Um, Charles Bush immediately. I'd still be laughing a little bit. I might have started laughing afterwards. Like, okay. because you can't, like, this elf shoes, and it's just like, you're, oh, gosh, no. Completely. You can't go very quickly. Oh, no. <laughs> and I wonder if this is what I, my picture is, that the elf shoes also have bells on them. <laughs> and that would just be hilarious. It'd be like oh jingle God. bells all the way off stage. Um, Charles Bush immediately after this happened tracked Raul down and over lunch with Polly Bergen they both convinced Raul to get back to work as soon as possible that's the end of that uh, article that I kept there is more to that but he goes into detail on different people in the theater world but that was about Mm -hmm. Raul okay I think the sad part for me in putting this whole thing together is that we still really have no idea what the story is, who yeah. the characters are, right. what the world was like then or now. Because um, it sounds so cool. Like, yeah. like 1980s club culture, like oh, boy George yeah. in this, like I, and then, and then the guy who thinks he's not camp is wearing a shaving cream Afro. So he's totally <laughs> camp, but like, doesn't know it, which is like really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, totally. The light that would have been shed on the LGBTQ community yeah. in the world of the eighties and also potentially today yeah. was passed out before it had any real chance of succeeding. Yeah. It's and instead, sad. you know, you've got these critics that are denying us the story of the show mm-hmm. uh, in lieu of the drama behind the curtain and if they're to be believed that's where the interest lay anyway yeah so i mean that's i it is kind of sad we're not really hearing you know anything about it 
But I do want to end this with a pretty funny story. So okay. I reached out to my friend, Liz McCartney. She was the Is she first... okay with us using her name? Yes, yes she okay. is. I asked okay. her. Yes, she says it's fine. <laughs> um, I know. That's always the first question I ask. Do you want to be anonymous? <laughs> Um, Liz McCartney was my first Madame Morrible. So I got to know her really well because I was learning the Madame Morrible track when I first joined the company. So I was watching her. I was hanging out in her dressing room. I was her secret Santa. <laughs> <laughs> but she was also, she also played Big Sue in Taboo. Mm -hmm. um, and she has a wealth of stories, but one of the stories that she shared with me for this podcast is very, very funny. So I'm going to say what, these are her words. She emailed me <laughs> and I quote, during rehearsals for Taboo, there was a scene that took place in the Portobello market. Everyone was in the scene except me. I was sitting off to the side next to Dione Michelle Collins, the only African-American girl in the cast. Mm -hmm. When the director started giving everyone in the ensemble their specific blocking and motivation for being in the scene, out of the sight of her mouth, Dione said to me, watch, he's going to get to me last. I thought that was strange, but sure enough, someone pointed to Dione and the director said almost dismissively in his very upper class British accent, oh, Dione, you're shopping for your six children. While oh. still sitting, Dione shouted, why a black girl gotta have six kids? Oh. Everyone laughed, but the director got very flustered and stammered back at her, oh, oh, well, you're shopping. And he walked away. With that, Charles Bush, yes, that Charles Bush, he was our book writer, stood up and told the director, I'll fix this. He sauntered over to Dione and half whispered almost conspiratorially, actually, Dione, you're a prostitute and you're shopping for sex toys for your johns. Being very pleased with himself, he turned to go back to his table when Dione stood up and shouted, why the black girl gotta be a prostitute? Yeah! And without missing a beat, Charles turned, beveled, threw his hands up in the air nonchalantly and replied, well, you gotta feed your six kids. You should know that I laughed so hard and so loud that they asked me to leave the room. For the rehearsal, I was called for and the scene... I wasn't even in. She closes. I will be honest <clears throat> that when I first read this, mm -hmm. I thought it was hilarious. Mm -hmm. But then after everything that had kind of gone into the show, yeah, it makes me a little sadder. Not, you know, it's... The token black girl and then hear all the stereotypes mm -hmm. they put on her for yeah. her motivations. And she calls it out, and yeah. I couldn't be prouder. Oh my gosh! She called too. them. I mean, that's well, the honestly, best part. Yeah, I think like that's she's why. like, why the black girl gotta be have six kids? <laughs> why the black girl gotta be a prostitute? Girl, I love her. And I think that's why it struck me so funny the first yeah. time I read it, and actually the first time that she told me, because I think that she told me that story when I first was, you know, knew her back when I was in Wicked. Mm -hmm. Um. But at the same time, it's like, not only are you dismissing the story of what could tell, you know, what could inform current and modern day LGBTQ kids. Yeah. The story of what it was like to be in the 1980s and to really forge a path because mm -hmm. these, I mean, this was pre HIV. So like the, these people were not taking any, any, um, they, they were taking all the risks. They were yeah. out there. They were proud. Yeah. But it was before a time where that was acceptable anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so the idea that that story wasn't the one that was told, and instead we're just kind of sweeping it all under the rug. Mm -hmm. And then you've also now got this one Black woman in the show. Yeah, the token. The token Black woman who is marginalized in the rehearsal process. Yeah, and I'm sure yeah. that that, you know, that's probably the case more often than not. I'm sure if I were to really delve into my history during rehearsal processes, I am sure yeah. that I've heard other stuff like that. Oh, totally. Also the yeah. way, and I have to, now I'm going to talk about myself here because reading that story made me laugh because of the way that she delivered it. And I'm sure that if I were there, I probably would have laughed as well, which yeah. might have also been her intent, Dione's intent. Right. Because you don't want to be the angry black girl, right? 
Well, and that's, oh. but at the same time, oh. it's like, I don't, I don't want exactly, I can't be angry because I'm black. Yeah. So I have to come across as funny, but then everyone just dismisses it because it's yeah. oh, you, funny, funny. It's a joke. Ha ha. You don't have six kids. Hello. Ha ha. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So. Oy, oy, oy. Yeah. I mean, right. Cause like we, um, there was a play Rashida speaking mm-hmm. that I saw that Cynthia Nixon directed. Um, I love and it. It had Tanya Pinkins and yeah. uh, Diane Weist. Mm. And it was basically about this idea, you know, black women and how they're perceived. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like the angry black woman. It's like, no matter what you do, you have to overcompensate with, mm-hmm. you know, like, like when people come up to you and you, if any of you have read these accounts, like you'll see in some of these accounts um, that black people are sharing about their experiences in the theater. A lot of them are talking about how somebody's always telling them to smile Ugh. because like we That's can't gross. have a, isn't it gross? That's gross. Because, because we have, because there's this idea that like, if you're, you know, it's like why I should be able to have like resting bitch face if I want to have resting <laughs> <Yeah>. bitch face <laughs> and it shouldn't be a deal, uh-huh. you know, like anybody else is allowed to have that. So like, why can't I have that? Or you're just thinking. And so you're pensive because you're deep in thought. And then somebody walks past you and is like, smile. It's like, so I have to think about how you're feeling right. when I'm trying to just think, right? like thinking Which- while black. Because I have, I have been told to smile more. I think that's also in the, just being a female, just walking down the street. Well, some, some of old these accounts were men smile. though too. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Some of these I mean, accounts were black men. Yeah. But, but you know, in the cases that I've been told, it doesn't make me smile. It makes me frown even harder and be yeah, like, like who ew. are you? <laughs> who are you? Just like, ew. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm, I don't know you. So why would I smile at you? Yeah. Hit the bricks is what I would say in my head, but I would just walk away. <laughs> I know. Just make a face like, what are you doing? Yeah, Ew. Like, and then walk away. Gross. Yeah. Don't talk to me. I don't know yeah. you. Yep. Ugh. Uh, I know. Well, this is, I'm sad about what happened to Taboo, but I hope that it does get some sort of like, you know, like some revival in the way that it, was meant to be, you know, yeah. so like if the West End production did so well and like, that's the thing about England, right? Is like they have the West End productions and they have so many cool spaces yeah. that their shows can take on all these different lives in New York. It's just like, we have like these Here's 41 the theaters right? yeah, <laughs> that all look exactly the same except yeah. for circle on the square. Like if you want to yeah. do anything interesting, you can go to circle on the square Meanwhile, um, you do have like really awesome off-Broadway show spaces that could yeah. be, you know, you, you know, and I think there's this whole idea of off-Broadway being less than, right. which is stupid because a lot of really popular Broadway shows or a lot of really good theater has come out of off-Broadway. Right. It's right. cheaper. Mm-hmm. It's less risk. Yeah. Well, so, it's, you know. I'm finding what I learned though, is it's not as cheap as it used to be. I mean, oh, really? the shows are, it's getting really, really expensive. Gentrifying so, them. <laughs> gentrifying. <laughs> I mean, some of, some of our instructors said they, they came into, they came into this world doing off Broadway mm-hmm. for minuscule amount of money. And they're like now, cause they're, they've been in, you know, 40, 50 years. Yeah. They're like, we couldn't we couldn't start off Broadway Yeah. now. Like it's so expensive. I I mean, I remember even the great Hal Prince saying, you know, the, the, the money he had to raise with like, he said the little old grannies and stuff. He said, I couldn't be a producer anymore. Mm. Like he had to stop producing because it was just so expensive to put up a show. And that's Hal Prince who has 21 Tony awards. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's terrifying. He's 21 Tony awards. He like, he's so well known and he's like, I, it's too expensive to do a Broadway show. And honestly, that's the saddest part about New York city as a whole. Like everyone that is interesting or that has a a point of view that is interesting is being priced out. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that goes for everybody, not even just theater, but like yeah. the, Astoria used, it is known as Actoria because right. it is where the theater people lived because it was close enough to Manhattan to do, mm-hmm. go into town and, and do your show, but mm-hmm. you could still afford to live here. Yeah. Now, I mean, I have a unicorn apartment and I won't be leaving anytime soon. And it yeah. is still incredibly expensive to live here. And if yeah. they bump my rent one more time, I'm probably not going to be able to. Yeah. So it's, it, but that's what they're doing. Like they're taking what is New York City, all of the different colors and all of the different voices and all of the different sounds and smells and sights. And they're just making it so bland. Yeah. So Real bland. pedestrian. Yeah. yeah. It's really unfortunate. Now, obviously, I don't want to go back to a time where, like, you can't go outside of your apartment when it's dark out because you'll right. be mugged and beaten up or raped or murdered. Right. But, like, there has to be... There's there a happy middle. A, yeah, a happy medium between 1980s being killed after dark and yeah. Elmo trying to harass a picture from you. Right. <laughs> Right. Off, as one of my friends calls them, off-brand Elmos. <laughs> They're so weird. It's the Mickey and Minnie Mouse that are that it creeps yeah. me out the most. Mm-hmm. They're gross. <laughs> I, yeah. I very rarely go to Times Square, if only if I can't, uh, you know, avoid, avoid it. it. But yeah, it's not my favorite place to be. I don't remember the last time I was in Manhattan. Well, it's been a yeah. long time. I mean, obviously. At least three months because I wouldn't have gone during the the pandemic, but it's right. it's been a long time, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now would be a nice time to go because nobody's there. That's very true. Yeah. Well, they do have a lot of protests going on right now. Oh, okay. Time, there were there was a picture of biking protests in Times Square. Oh. Yes. Well, I saw it yesterday. I'm not sure when the actual protest took place, but this is all like the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, And then there was another one that was taking place further south, um, Wall Street area, maybe in the financial Mm -hmm. district. I'm not exactly sure. Okay. But yeah, I mean, there, so there are people that are, the thing is, you mentioned it earlier, people have kind Mm -hmm. of forgotten the pandemic altogether. And there is a lot of other stuff that's taking the priority of our focus right now, but Mm -hmm. At the same time, I just read this on Facebook. Someone posted we this. We still this have week. a virus, guys, that's out yeah. there, like, taking lives. And it's, yes. like, where I am in Oklahoma, it's bad. And it's hit China again, guys. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, and I don't know, because they said that the numbers were spiking in China again and that they were at risk of doing an- another Another shutdown. lockdown. And so, they're the ones everybody's like looking to for yeah. guidance because they had, oh no. They made it through. They, they passed it. You know, they've been wearing their masks, but we're not wearing our masks here. No. And that's And the numbers irritating. keep climbing. Yeah. Yes. Well, and, and. We never, been, we never finished wave one. We're still in wave one. Yeah. Well, and they, they're saying that wave one could just go into wave two and just be one big wave. Like they're not even now, they're not even differentiating fall from this one, they're saying, right. you know, it's not, it's just never going away because nobody's listening. Nobody's paying attention and nobody's right. being vigilant. I read something on Facebook today. It was just a little meme that someone posted that was so perfect. And I wish that I knew the guy to give credit to that said it, but I can't remember. And I'm sorry. Uh, but if I can think of it, I'll post it on the, on the theater geeks anonymous Facebook post. Anyway, it said, let me get it together. It said recordings. I just saw it. Okay. Usually yep. I see like a little thing in the corner. This is oh good. And I didn't see it for a second. <laughs> so that is the end of my little exciting script of taboo. I really I hope do you all enjoyed it. I know. I hope I've said it before, but I do hope something happens with it because it Thank it you. sounds like it would be, you know, and and actually even like if they could get what Charles cut, mm. you there, know, and um, just do like a Charles some- Bush cut. Yeah, there, uh, <laughs> the oh, there's a little bit on Wikipedia, like two or three sentences of some mm-hmm. stuff that had been changed, but it okay. didn't go into enough detail to really include it in what I wrote. Mm-hmm. And then, because I mean, Ebony, I took probably 20 minutes rewriting what the synopsis was on Wikipedia because those things are always poorly written and I can't yeah. stand it. Yeah. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, it's different. And then I was like, I'm not going to include this because it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't translate to yeah. 
the yeah. Broadway productions. So if anyone can find like an actual, like a detailed synopsis of the Broadway production, I'd be super interested in reading and like going side by side with the West yeah. End production and figuring out what was different. I know that like some locations that they went to in within the show were changed. Okay. Um, but other than that, and, and characters were changed. Names were different from one production to the next. Um, and relationships were different. Okay. So like in the West End production, there, he, um, Boy George had a father and a mother and the mother actually played very heavily within that production. Um, and there was also another character named Sue who was a friend of Lee Bowery and was in the room with Lee when Lee passed away from HIV and AIDS. Okay. But in the Broadway production, I think what they did was just make the character Big Sue, which is what my friend Liz played, mm -hmm. and she is the mother. Okay. So like the, or the mother character, mm -hmm. whatever that reads as. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. It's interesting though. Yeah. Especially when you had said, um, he had to cut some things because they weren't able to be played with like the gravitas yeah. and emotion that they needed. And I'm just like, if you get a really good actor in there, maybe you could put yeah. some of the stuff back in that Charles had written that he had to cut for those reasons. Oh, that would be so nice. Yeah. Well, and, like, yeah. and I will say too, there's not really any reason why boy George had to be playing that role. Yeah. And I think, I wonder if that was simply because they were trying to get butts in the seats. Like mm -hmm. if it was, you know, more yeah, stunt casting. Right. Yeah. Or if it was George saying he wants to be on Broadway, if you're going to yeah. do it, I'm going to be in it, you yeah. know, but he didn't insist on doing the West End production. So I'm not really quite certain why he would have wanted to do the Broadway production unless Rosie requested it of him. Right. But I don't know. Yeah. All conjecture. It's yeah, sure is. <laughs> that was it. That was a good one. Thanks, Thanks for doing that. Hey, my pledge. <laughs> my pledge. You know, and it's so funny because even this morning I texted my friend Liz and I was like, oh, I have to pick your brain more about this. But then we had to actually do the recording and I didn't hear back from her soon enough. So maybe we'll do like a second, like little mini sode yeah. about this. And, and, you know, if she chooses to share some information mm -hmm. now that she's been outed, it might be that she's like, <laughs> I'm just going to keep that all to myself now. <laughs> I mean, we'd even like, we could do a mini sewed with her as a guest since we figured out this whole zoom situation oh my gosh knock on wood on that <laughs> yeah. yes yes mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean that's that's the story that's what it is so good i wish we actually knew the real story i know <laughs> <laughs> well thank you guys for listening we yes, appreciate you, you so as much. always happy pride month and Woo. uh we'll talk to you next time yes have a great whatever <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.